Amen. Well, welcome to Creekside Church. Go ahead and come on in. There are plenty of seats available. You know, you never know uh, what's going to happen these days. Every week's an adventure, and uh, we're down a couple of uh, people in the, in the band, and we've got our sound man playing piano back there, and uh, so we're just uh, thankful to be together, and we're thankful for those that can join us online. I know that uh, we have people that are with us in spirit. Um, I just want to read a few verses from Psalm chapter 90. Uh, I love to think about these verses uh, in the context of a new year. Psalm 94 says, A thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. And just that thought that with God, a thousand years, an age can pass, and to him, this is like a watch in the night. You know, not even, that's not even a whole day, you know. A watch in the night is like, you know, the watchman who's posted, you know, from 10 o'clock to 3 o'clock or whatever, however they broke it up. But it's a part of the night, and, and that's what God says, that a thousand years, uh, what seems like an impossibly long uh, period of time to us, is like nothing to him. And so uh, just an encouragement to think about that he never changes. You know, our circumstances are changing all the time. Uh, we never know what to expect in this life, but God never changes. And so uh, just an encouragement for a new year. Let's just, let's just uh, bow our heads in prayer and commit our time to the, to the Lord. Father God, we are just thankful for the opportunity to be in your presence. Um, Lord, you said where two or three are gathered in your name, you are there in the midst. Uh, and Father, we claim that promise today. We know that you are with us, uh, that your Holy Spirit is powerful uh, to encourage and lift up. And Father, we want to pray for those who are sick. Some are uh, recovering. Some are um, have other ailments happening right now or family members that they are praying for. And so we continue to just remember that our lives are in your hands. You are the great king of the universe who controls all things. Father, we just pray that this morning you would draw our hearts back to you once again. Just encourage us, uh, remind us of the greatness of, of who you are and what a blessing it is to be part of your family. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He canceled my debt and he called me his friend When death was arrested and my life began Oh, your grace so free washes Yes, I'm going to introduce uh, for those of you uh, here and at home uh, some very special friends. Back in 2005, the Judah Guzma family came to Iowa. I was uncertain of what was uh, leading him to do that at the time, but it became apparent that he was seeking to see his family uh, be educated in Iowa. Uh, his wife, Rosianna, has uh, been studying to be an RN and is now approaching her boards. Uh, the oldest son at the far end is uh, now uh, working on his doctorate in Georgia. Uh, the tallest one, the youngest one, is uh, grad going to graduate from Grimes this year and uh, he's moving on to college with many opportunities, very bright young man. And then Jamie uh, is going to uh, Iowa State and uh, studying business. Uh, so uh, you can see that he has worked hard to follow through with his goal in coming to Iowa. However, uh, he has never forgotten his hometown. As a matter of fact, he's had connection there in the ministry as well as in the schooling uh, of uh, facility in Pion Fontaine area, which we're familiar with. Uh, and 
Jude happened to be the first person that actually led the Olivet group around on their first visit to uh, Pion. So there was that connection which brought him to Olivet. But what I, why I am coming to you is uh, Jude uh, is being called by the Lord back to Haiti now to minister and to administrate at the school. He has been doing that since he left Haiti, but here from Grimes, uh, from Iowa. Now he wants to be able to commit full time to it. Uh, so he's needing some assistance to be able, financial assistance to be able to do that. So I'm making an appeal to our church to consider adding the Jude Augusta and his uh, ministry to our uh, missionary outreach. Uh, so I think well, the rest of us will sit down and uh, turn it over to you. Good morning, church. Thank you very much for allowing me to be here with, with my family, to be with you. I enjoyed the worship service this morning. Thank you very much for that. Thank you for the opportunity you gave me to share with you about our ministry in Haiti. I was born in Haiti and raised from a Christian family, uh, saved and baptized at the age of uh, 16. In 1997, the Lord has placed a call in my heart to serve 45 of his precious student, uh, uh, kids in a community named Fontaine. Fontaine is located about three miles from the town of Pinion. This was a very scary call for me. I never been scary, scared that much when I received that call. But after long boots of prayer, the Lord showed to me he's gonna be with me in the boat and he's gonna get me to the other end. He has to remind me over the years many times, but he affirmed to me he's gonna be with me to the end of it. Um, I'm gonna go through this slide pretty quick uh, this is when in 1997, at the same year when the Lord called me to this ministry, we have a group from Iowa, from Des Moines, Iowa, led by a team, a, by a, a fellow named Larry Madol. He's a good friend of mine. This team comes from Meredith Drive Church here in Urbandale. Some of you may know uh, Meredith Drive Church. They come to me and offer to help. With their help, we're able to start this building here. You can see the building we just start, which will later become the building next to it, which we'll call, talk more about it later. Over the years, we serve more than 3,000 students in the community. And right now, over 20 percent of them are in university right now. The Lord not only bless us with uh, this building, but bless us with several other buildings. In moving forward in 2002, a problem come, but it was a good problem. The student population went from 45 to more than 190 students. It was a problem because we didn't have enough room to seat all of those students. And it was much more of a problem on Sunday morning. On Sunday morning, when the people in the community come for church and to seat the people and the student, it was very difficult because we are using the school building and putting everybody in a room. Sometimes we have to use the porch. But moving forward, the Lord provided us with this beautiful building. This building was built by an organization named 
International Cooperative Ministry. They go around the world and build 365 churches every year. And 10 of those buildings went to Haiti, and this is one of them. This is a multi-use uh, multi building. We use it for not only for the students. Every year, we have team from the U.S. We have student revival camp. This is the time uh, in the summer we spend a lot of time with the Lord. We, we have a worship service with the student. We have team from here. And also, we use this building for church, regular church service. We still have the problem because we, have, we don't have enough room to put everybody in a typical Sunday service. Uh, moving very fast forward in 2009, things didn't go the way we wanted to go. My family and I, we had to take the most difficult decision in 2005 to move to the U.S. and leave this ministry behind to look for better, a, um, better education system for our, for our family. We moved here, and after I left, things started to be very difficult. The school was on the verge to close. Again, Another time, the Lord reminded me, said, remember, I am in the boat with you. I am going to get you to the other side. Out of the blue, I received a call from Chicago, a friend that I met 15 years ago, called me and said, well, my church, the Cohen Church of Chicago, is looking to do mission work. Would you lead? We hear about your effort. So I went to Chicago and met with those leaders, and then since then they have been helping. You remember the building we saw earlier? Excuse me, the building we saw earlier? Since then they have been helping with construction and also paying the teachers. If you can see the blue, there's a blue thing over there. This was the original building. We take the roof off the building, add on to it, and have that building today. The Lord not only bless us with the, this building, also bless us with this one as well. This building, the first floor was built by my wife and I. That's where we used to live together. But the Lord put in our heart to dedicate this building for his service. Right now we can sleep 15 people just in the, first, in the second floor and some more additional room, some additional room downstairs, we can have more people. So already, you are welcome. There's a place for you. So, the Lord continue to bless the ministry. This is a ministry we have a, for housing project. We go around and help people. Be, you see, if you can see the building behind, you cannot see it very well, but it's a very small building, two rooms, very small, out of mud. And this lady here on the, on the right, this lady has six members in her family. So this house behind us become what we see right there. And also, widow program we have, my wife started that in 2014. When we go there, that was so difficult for the widows. After they lost their husband, life is very difficult for them. With 200 US dollars, we're able to set up a small business to be self-sustainable, be able to provide for the family. And also, they used to carry staff on their head. Now, they have a wheelbarrow, so they can wheel the staff to the market. They will continue to bless us. This ministry is a pastor's training. We have pastor's training where every year we have well-trained pastors here in the US, they go and then help the late leaders in Haiti. There's many. The church I used to, to, uh, to lead in Haiti, the pastor that was before me didn't even know how to read. So we have the situation in Haiti, so we need people well-trained here 
to go to Haiti and help uh, to be better minister so they can serve the people better. What I do in air and help every time I have translate the materials and also translate a regular session here. Uh, we also have a good project. This is a good project. This is a program that we try to teach the student to be responsible and also with the parents. The good, we call that a small bank account for the family. They can make money out of that. Moving forward, we have also we do well drilling program. Well drilling is a program that um, we go around help fixing well and then people can have good drinkable water. This gentleman here in the picture, his name is Marvin, he's just down the, the road there. He spent thousands of dollars out of his own pocket. Last year alone, I, he spent like $7,000 buying pump parts from, the, from India and ship, ship to Haiti. Every time I go to Haiti, I have an extra heavy bag. And we go on and fix well for the people to have good drinkable water. Are we there yet? We're not. I know and I believe the Lord continue to bless this ministry. We have in perspective a, to build a medical clinic where we can provide first aid for the student, can provide injury prevention, holistic health. And also we're thinking about a, uh, a dorm. Uh, earlier I said when the student come for uh, a revival, they come and go. Some of them coming pretty far away. We want them to be able to stay there, spend time together, try to know each other, and try to know the missionaries as well. Pastors as well, when they come, they come and go. Some of them coming very far away. In fact, we, there was an accident last year when pastor was uh, coming, actually not one, not coming in one of our training, but taking a motorcycle and then it was an accident and lost his life. So we want them to be able to come and spend some time getting to know each other better and spend time with the Lord. Uh, we're also thinking about a, an orphanage. When we first started the school, we start with kids like this little guy over there needed a hand. These, many of them have one parent. Many of them don't have a parent at all. They need help. Uh, that reminds me of the story of a little girl. Her mom wanted to sell her for $1,000, not even one hundred US dollar. My wife and I, we supporting her. She's in good hand right now, and somebody's watching her for us. One thing that breaks my heart every time I go, she cannot believe I go there, and then his dad coming to the U.S. and not coming with her. So we are supporting her, and then uh, I'm looking forward to be with her. Many of you might be wondering what I will be doing in Haiti. Can I already talk about it? I will be doing exactly what I have been doing, except I have been doing it very far away. It has been very difficult for me to keep on doing it, so I will spend all of my time, dedicate all of my time to be the school administrator, uh, to lead the church, and also to, to help taking care of the of the beautiful building that the Lord has provided. But to be able to do that, I cannot do that alone. This is why my friend Ken helped me to come to you. I would like you to partner with me to be able to do that. There is many ways you can do that. The number one way you can do it is just pray for us. Pray for the Holy Spirit to be with us every step of the way. You can also visit us in Haiti. The door is widely open for you. There's a lot of things you can do. We need handy, handy person. We need people to train. Actually, we need people to train the teachers. We need training for them and also the leaders. There's many things you can do. You can also help us by uh, give us a donation, maybe a one-time donation or a recurring donation. We, you, we can be contacted at a, uh, 
info.pcmpmission at gmail.com. If you have more questions, you can contact us after the church or anytime I can be with you, can, can provide you some more information. Thank you very much. I know I go over my time. Thank you very much for allowing me to share with you this morning and may the Lord bless you. commands all the hosts of heaven. Who else could make every king bow down? Who else can whisper and Greetings, Creekside family. It's good to be with you this morning, even though, as you can see, I'm not where I normally am. I'm hunkered down in the Smith COVID bunker because I have the symptoms of COVID-19, so I won't be able to join you in person this morning, but I want to welcome each of you to uh, service, and thanks for joining us. Just one quick announcement I want to make that uh, we're hoping to take up a special offering on the 9th of January for our good missionaries, Lucas and Lois Richard, serving in Liberia. They're hoping to build a duplex so they and their ministry partners there in Liberia can have a private place to live. Our elders have recommended that we give about $10,000 from our general fund, and then we're going to take up a special offering, hopefully to help defray as much of the cost as we can. The total project is about $25,000. So it's good to have you with us this morning. Uh, just for those who may be curious, yeah, I'm not doing the greatest, can't taste or smell anything now, but I'm doing okay. Appreciate your prayers, and Lord willing, we'll all get through this. Some others in our church family are struggling with it. I want to keep Ruth Brom and mind as we pray this morning. So I'd invite you to pray with me, if you would, as we prepare to study God's Word. Father, uh, thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. We thank you for your goodness. And this new year, we pray that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated at the right hand of God the Father, we ask that you'd work to bring healing and strength to Ruth and so many other others in our church body, Father. I think of Amy Johnson and for uh, those in the McLaren household, Carrie and Cora, and others that we may not even know about, Lord. We pray you'd bring healing and strength to their bodies. Open our eyes to your word and let your word have its way in our hearts, we pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've had the privilege of doing some hiking in various spots around the country, actually in the world, and learned just a few things, some the hard way and some just by uh, reading and hearing from other people, but a couple of lessons, that uh, steps to take that will promote success in hiking. Uh, don't hike alone, and if you do hike alone, make your location known to other people. It's a good idea to dress in layers, particularly if you're at higher altitudes, because the weather can change quickly. Uh, lower your center of gravity and slow down when you're on your descent, because uh, you could tumble head over heels pretty quickly. And uh, one thing I learned uh, while hiking in Yosemite was it's probably a good idea to pack snacks, because you really don't know how long you're going to be out on the trail. Those are some things that we, we learn. And as we, as we gaze in the rearview mirror uh, and look ahead to the uncharted waters of 2021, um, we can only wonder what's in store. And I say that because many of the uncertainties of 2020 still loom on the horizon. We haven't been, uh, we have last week properly encouraged, I appreciate Brother, Brother Lucas taking us to First Peter, to set our hope on the coming redemption of our bodies and of our creation in the world that is to come. In spite of the fact that we live in economic, political, and medical upheaval, we can keep these things as our perspective that keeps us going. Well, armed with that perspective, uh, what practices do we think that the scripture holds out for us as harbingers of success in God's eyes in, in 2021? Well, this morning, uh, we're going to learn from two ancient teachers uh, some certain steps to keep us successfully pressing ahead least successfully in God's eyes, in uncertain days. Well, when the northern tribes of Israel rebelled against the southern tribes, recorded for us in Second Chronicles and also in uh, the book of Kings, but 
they they rebelled against God and they rejected the worship of the one true God. So we had the southern tribes who were trying to follow God and God's leader, Rehoboam. Then you had the northern tribes following Jeroboam away from God. Well, as a result of this, God's people experienced civil war among themselves, military threats from other nations seeking to take advantage of these divided people, uh, constant changes in the monarchs, the, the kings. There were constant changes in kings. And then there was this vacillating religious loyalty to different gods, different idols and worshipers uh, followed different gods. And then some remained true to the one true God. So they were days of political, religious, and economic uncertainty, not unlike our own. And so as we consider this morning, Second Chronicles, several chapters, but not the entirety of each chapter, uh, chapter 17 through 20, King Jehoshaphat and the prophet Micaiah reveal three practices that I think are necessary for believers of all ages to successfully navigate the uncharted waters uh, ahead of them, and particularly for us, those of 2021. So if you have your Bible or your device, if you look at Second Chronicles chapter 17, that's where we'll begin, we're going to look at these three practices, these steps, certain steps for uncertain times. And the first one is this, we prioritize our intimacy with God. Now, in your outline or the outline that you may be seeing, it might say we prioritize intimacy with our God. I changed it, but that's my, my prerogative, so I did it at the last minute. And there are two primary ways that we're going to look at in Jehoshaphat's life uh, in, in making intimacy with the Almighty a priority. Two ways he did it that we can model. And the first one is that we would pursue the Almighty personally. I'm going to read in Second Chronicles chapter 17, beginning with verse 3 and down through verse 9. So I hope you, hopefully you can follow along with me as I, as I read. Verse 3. And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father David, David's earlier days, and did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father, followed his commandments, and did not act as Israel did. So the Lord established his kingdom in his control, and all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat, and he had great riches and honor. And he took great pride in the ways of the Lord and again removed the high places and the Asherim from Judah. Then in the third year of his reign, he sent his officials, Ben-Hale, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nethanel, Micaiah, to teach in the cities of Judah. And with them, the Levites, Shemaiah, Nethaniah, Zebediah, Asahel, Shemiramoth, Jehonathan, Adonijah, Tobijah, Tobadonijah, the Levites, and with them Elishama and Jehoram, the priests. And they taught in Judah, having the book of the law of the Lord with them. And they went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught among the people. Wow. We see in verse 4, that uh, verse 3, that the Lord is with Jehoshaphat. Well, what does that mean? Why was he with Jehoshaphat? He was with Jehoshaphat because Jehoshaphat had made the walk with God a priority because of his devotion to God. Yesterday, the Iowa State Cyclones were invited to play in the Fiesta Bowl. Why were they invited to play? Because of their performance. God's manifest presence with Jehoshaphat was a result of his priority on intimacy. And we see on several occasions throughout these chapters that Jehoshaphat sought the God of his father. You can read it there in verse 4 of chapter 17, that he sought the God of his father. And we're going to look at a few of those things. First of all, in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 17, he sought the God of his father. Despite the fact that he was the king, his lofty position, he recognized his, uh, his frail condition, and he put his relationship with God first. And he presents to us a plan for pursuing God. First of all, we see negatively that he decided to shun idols. Okay, Calvin was correct when he said this, the human heart is an idol factory. Well, what's an idol? An idol is anything to which we look. It could be a person, it could be an object, anything to which we look as a source of contentment or fulfillment that is something that really only God can satisfy. It might be a person. It could be 
a political leader. It could be our family member. It could be a child or a grandchild. It could be a promotion. It could be possessions. Anything like that. I think I was thinking that, you know, when you consider what, what we post on social media, if we post a lot about the same thing on social media or where we spend our money or what we spend our time talking about a lot, those could be indicators of potential indicators of, uh, of, of idols in our lives. So shunning idols was a negative aspect, but positively he was seeking God. And there are various ways as we look through these chapters that Jehoshaphat sought God. First of all, he sought God through obedience. Look what it says in chapter 17, verse 4. But he sought the God of his father, followed his commandments, and did not act as Israel did. So he was obedient and he rejected apostasy because that's what Israel did. They turned away from God when the kingdom divided. Uh, they set up idol worships and uh, worship in different cities so that the people wouldn't have to go to Jerusalem to worship the one true God. Heartfelt obedience promotes intimacy. And we see this in John chapter 14, verse 21, a verse that I've quoted before, but uh, Jesus says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. He that loves me will be loved of my Father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. I will love him, and my Father will love him. We will, he will disclose himself to them. So God reveals himself to us as we're obedient. We're obedient. We get to know God better. We seek to get to know God. It's that allegiance that results in a greater intimacy as we obey. I think about the college athletes these days, the days of COVID. They've had to go under, undergo strict obedience to rules that would keep them isolated from other people so they don't infect the team and then are able to play. So their obedience to their coaches restrictions out of allegiance to the coach and the team has drawn them closer together in the same way that as we obey God and get to know him better out of our allegiance we obey, obey him and then he reveals himself to us as we obey him and we get to know him better this is the idea as we begin 2021 uh, what plans do you have what plans do we have for pursuing God through growing in our understanding of his word and obedience to it. The best way we get to know him is through his word. That's how he reveals himself to us and through the person of Jesus and through the ministry of the Spirit. But let's start with his word. What can we do uh, that, you know, if we don't know it? You know, we do what we know. And if we aren't spending time in the word, we can't know what we're supposed to do. So we must start with the intake of God's word. What stands in the way? What stands in the way as you start 2021 as a hobby? Homework, housework, could be our work. Let's make a determination that we're not going to let those things get in the way. See, we make time to read the scripture which says, love your neighbor as yourself. But then we must take, make time not just to read it, but to actually do it. So there is the quest to know God through obedience. Then guidance. We seek to know God, God's guidance. And I turn to chapter 18 in Second Chronicles and begin with verse 1. Uh, Jehoshaphat uh, had great riches and honor, and he allied himself by marriage with Ahab, which was a big mistake. And some years later, he went down to visit Ahab at Samaria, and Ahab slaughtered many sheep and oxen for him and people who uh, and the people who were with him, and induced him to go up to Ramoth Gilead. Well, why was he going to Ramoth Gilead? Well, he wanted to wage war there. Verse three. And Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Will you go with me against Ramoth Gilead? And he said to him, I am as you are, and my people as you are, and we will be with you in the battle. Moreover, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire first for the Lord, word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel assembled the prophets, 400 men, and said to them, Shall we go up against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for God will give it into your hand, into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, is there not yet a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. He is Micaiah, the son of Imlah. But Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. You see, despite this unholy alliance that Jehoshaphat made with wicked Ahab, he still sought the Lord's input as to whether they should go up to battle. Now, he ignored it, 
but he at least sought it. And as we were reminded last week, our eternal hope, our hope is eternal. It's rooted in what is to come, in the redemption of our bodies and of creation. It doesn't remove the challenges and the decisions, the challenging decisions that we have of living in a temporal world right now in 2021. So how am I... We ask ourselves, how far do I go in COVID mitigation personally? You know, did I do enough to, to keep myself from getting infected or to keep others from being infected? How far do we go in the church? How far with our family? We have questions. How do we educate and discipline our kids? Some will be asking, whom should I marry? Others are saying, and should be, all of us who are married should be saying, how, how do I love my spouse? Should we refinance our home? These are questions we have, simple questions. What's the best way to love my neighbor? How can I work personally towards racial unity? Unfortunately, many of the big issues of 2020 are still looming before us. We still have a pandemic. Still political upheaval. There's still racism. Still talks of racism. There's still financial challenges. There's threats to religious liberty. And the moral revolution is pressing very, very hard. Jehoshaphat's example instructs us to seek the Lord's direction, though I hope we seek it and follow it, unlike him. You see, I think about this, and I've read some different posts on social media. It's possible for us, and, and should be our goal, to, to work towards, for example, racial re reconciliation without embracing the evils of criti uh, critical race theory in the Church of Jesus Christ, critical race theory that, that divides us based on race, when God's Word unites us based on the blood of Christ. In Christ, we are brothers and sisters by His blood, regardless of how dense or how much melanin we have in our skin. In 2021, God's Word serves as our authoritative guide. Believers are called uh, to let the Word of God not the ways of the world guide our decisions. So in our obedience, we seek God. In our guidance, we seek God. In preference, we seek God. I want you to look at chapter 19, first three verses of chapter 19 here. We see um, Joshua didn't follow the advice of Micaiah, so he and Asa went to battle, and it ended miserably, except God spared Jehoshaphat, and we pick up the story in verse 1 of chapter 19. Then Jehoshaphat the king of Judah returned in safety to his house in Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to him, Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord and so bring wrath on yourself from the Lord? But there is some good in you, for you have removed the Asheroth from the land and you have set your heart to seek God. There it is. He set his heart to seek God. And this, these verses kind of parallel chapter 17 verses 3 through 6, but they reverse the order so that Jehoshaphat is good in, in the sense that he shunned the idols and that he set his heart to seek God. As I read it, I just thought, have I really set my heart to seek God in 2021? Because my relationship with him is the greatest need that I have. I wonder this morning if you would ask yourself the same question. Would we be like Jehoshaphat? There would be good in us because we have set our heart to seek God because his good, his relationship with us and our relationship with him is our greatest good. You know, there are commercials that are abounding as we start 2021. For example, like the Nutrisystems commercial to challenge us to set your heart to seek weight loss or to learn a new language or to do something. How about we set our heart to seek God. And then finally, in this idea of, of seeking the Lord, is, is the seeking the Lord for deliverance. And I ask you to turn with me to chapter 20, uh, beginning with verse 1 and through verse 4. Now it came about after this, after Jehoshaphat woke up and uh, instituted some reforms, which is what's recorded in verses 4 through 11 of chapter 19. It says, Now and it came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with some of the Meonites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, out of Aram. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. 
And Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. They came to seek the Lord. Why? Because they were facing this great multitude uh, that was about 25 miles to the southeast That's of Jerusalem. That's En Gedi is about 25 miles southeast, which is Hezaz on Tamar, which is En Gedi, which added the urgency, added urgency to their already acute sense of vulnerability. And, and, and the king sought God's help. I think about that. We've, we've lived in a pandemic for about 10 months now in 2020. And you couple that with the political and the social and the economic and the financial and personal threats, uh, upheaval and threats to our, our safety, our security. It's, it's heightened, I think, for many people, a, a sense of vulnerability. Yet, I wonder, have we responded like Jehoshaphat? Have we gone to God, following his lead, putting a priority on intimacy? Well, we can seek the Lord. We can, we can pursue, uh, you know, this, this relationship with, with the Lord. That's the first way that we see Jehoshaphat making intimacy with God a priority, is pursuing the Almighty. Secondly, we see him promoting fidelity publicly. Now, there's several ways that we can join Jehoshaphat in promoting fidelity among the people. And the first is where he set the example, and we're going to go back to chapter 17, verse 6, and that is to purge idolatry, to help purge it. We see it in 17, 6, and in 19, uh, chapter 19, verse 3, the same words, basically, that he removed the high places and the Asherim, or the Asheroth, from the, from the place. Now, we know if we read the whole text that he didn't completely eradicate it, uh, but he made steps to do so. He followed in the footsteps of his father Asa, in, who is recorded in, it's recorded in chapter 15, uh, verse 8 of Second Chronicles, that he removed the idols in the high places. And as I think about Jehoshaphat and his heart, there's a, there's a prayer that I came across that I think uh, expresses his heart, and I hope it would express our heart when it comes to not only our personal concern about removing idols, but that of promoting that eradication in the hearts of other people. And here, here it is. Listen, if you will. The dearest idol I have known, help me pluck it from its throne so that I may worship you alone. Wow. And someone I know recently purchased a home owned by a hoarder that's filled with stuff that needs to be cleaned out. I think about 2021, and I ask myself, and I'm going to ask you, uh, if we should, we should ask the Lord to help us clear our hearts of any idols, and call other people to do the same. Lord, may we say, the dearest idol I have known, help me pluck it from its throne that I may worship you alone. Maybe it's our wealth. Maybe it's our health. Maybe it's our comfort or our pleasure or a certain political victory or a certain goal we have financially that we need to say, Lord, that's too important to I want you to be the most important thing in my life, to purge idolatry. Secondly, to proclaim the truth boldly. In chapter 17, verses 7 through 9, which I read earlier, and I'm not going to try to uh, pronounce all those names again, but it's summarized in verse 9. What Jehoshaphat did was he sent these people out. He sent his officials, and he sent the Levites, and he sent the priests out, and it says in verse 9, and of chapter 17, they taught in Judah, having the book of the law of the Lord with them, and they went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught among the people. They took the word, because the word of God, knowing it and obeying it, is so central to our intimacy with God. He said, that's what you have to let them know. You have to let them know. As Isaiah said, the word of God will not come back void without accomplishing that for which you sent it. It's the word of God that the spirit of God uses to make the man and the woman of God more like the son of God. So God's holiness, justice, and love, that make, is that's what makes a relationship with him not only possible, but a priority. Was and is to be taught. You know, God's holiness, God's justice, God's love, which makes a relationship with God possible but not only possible, but a priority. 
That's what was taught. So consider for a moment that God's law reveals that God is holy. That's the beginning of the book, right? In the beginning, God created. Well, he created what? He created a perfect thing. He saw everything was, and it was good in his eyes. Leviticus 19.2 tells us that God is holy. And because he's holy, we know that he cannot stand on holiness. But man is sinful. We saw that in Genesis chapter 3, that man is sinful. And because he's sinful, he deserves God's wrath. Paul reiterates it in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and following. There's no none righteous, not at one. So God is holy, man is sinful. And it's only through God's intervention and work that we can be made right with God and back in a relationship with him. And the book of the law, Genesis, reveals that it's Abraham's seed that makes this possible. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, In you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Then in chapter 15, verse 6, we see that Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. In chapter 22, verse 18, that it's a repeat of Genesis 12, 3, that in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Well, is that code? Well, it's kind of a code. It's, it's pointing forward to the fulfillment in the person and the work of Jesus, but it was proclaimed then, the gospel. You see, Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, tells us that Jesus Christ is Abraham's seed, God's promised lamb, the one, as John said in John chapter 1, 29, would take away the sins of the world. This is in the Old Testament, propelling us to the New Testament and revealing to us God's plan for gospel salvation is not just something for the New Testament, it's all throughout the fiber and fabric of the, of the Bible. You see, Jesus lived a perfect life and he died in our place to bear the wrath of God against our sin and rose from the grave to give eternal life to all who would believe. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, and 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. And so man is sinful. God is holy, first of all. Man is sinful and deserves God's judgment. But through the seed of Abraham, the person of Jesus, all who believe in, in his death as a sacrifice for them and his resurrection as the proof that he conquered sin and death, will be saved. So we must repent and believe to escape eternal punishment and be reconciled to God. You can look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Preached the gospel to Abraham. Where did he do that? It says, by saying to him, all nations shall be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. There it is. The gospel in the Old Testament is Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, and it's fulfilled in the person of Jesus. It's through faith that we are saved. And we see this also in verses 13 and 14 of Galatians chapter 3, that Christ was put on a cross and he was cursed for us. Okay, He became a curse for us that we might become the children of God. It says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Because it says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, that is salvation by faith, might come to the Gentiles so that we are, might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. I remember going to a restaurant in a third world country and wondering, well, what should I eat? Can I eat here? Is it safe for me to eat? And I had to trust that this good friend of mine who had been there before knew that it was safe. In the same way, we must put our faith or our trust in what Jesus did as the payment for our sin. And this was the message that was proclaimed. And the law preached not only the gospel, which is Galatians chapter 3, 8, not only, it didn't just preach it, but it proved it was necessary. Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24 says that the law couldn't redeem us. It was just basically a tutor to show us our sin so that we'd see our need for a Savior, which is the person of Jesus. So as we enter 2021, we don't have a whole different message than the people, the priests and the Levites and the leaders that Jehoshaphat sent out. We proclaim the gospel, the whole counsel of God. It is the gospel whereby people are saved because that's what they need to hear. And we ask for God's grace to give us boldness. I want God's boldness to preach it. Preach it to my family, to preach it to my friends, to preach it to my, my neighbor, neighborhood, people in my neighborhood. Since it is the power of God and salvation. 
And so we must purge idolatry. We must proclaim truth boldly and then prescribe uh, you know, activity that is, that is appropriate. I'm not going to go into great detail, but in chapter 19, uh, verses 4 through 11, we see particularly in verse 4 what Jehoshaphat's heart was. So Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem, went out again among the people. Notice he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim. And this, notice this, and he brought them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. And then the rest of the verses, 5 through 11, tell us how he brought them back to the God of their fathers. And basically, he drew them back by appointing leaders who would hear their grievances and required the leaders to execute judgment for the good of the people in fear of God. It's like this, justice without prejudice is what fueled their allegiance to God. They, they, would, they would have justice. And it wouldn't be prejudicial because God hates the unrighteous. He doesn't like bribes. He doesn't like trickery. And so Jehoshaphat created this environment for the people. And as we look at it, what can we do? We can model that in our leadership, in our church, in our, our own lives, that we act on the basis of what's just for the good of the people out of fear of God. And so we see there is this priority on a, on, on a relationship with God and in that. Secondly, we see in this text that we serve our God courageously, next step in success in 2021. And this we take from the life, these lessons we take from the life of Micaiah in chapter 18, verses 21 through 28, but I'm not going to read all that. There are three steps that Micaiah took that we would do very, very well to follow if we want to be courageous in serving God. First of all, we must resolve to speak the truth of God, resolve to speak God's truth. I want you to look with me, if you will, particularly um, at verses 1 through 7. Now, Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor and had allied himself in marriage to Ahab, and, uh, and, and some years later he went down to visit Ahab. And we, we read that earlier, and we found out that he did ally himself. He called for Micaiah, and so now we go down to verse 8. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah, Imla's son. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting each on his throne. That would be a little intimidating. Arrayed in their robes, and they were sitting at the threshing floor in the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets were prophesying before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Chenana, said, or he had made horns and uh, of iron for himself. And he said, thus says the Lord, with these you will gore the Arameans until they are consumed. And all the prophets were prophesying thus, saying, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and succeed, for the Lord will give it into your, the hand of the king. Then the messengers who went to summon Micaiah, the messenger, to Micaiah, spoke to him, saying, Behold, the words of the prophets are uniformly favorable to the king. To the king. So please let your word be like one of them and speak favorably. Oh, yeah. Okay. No pressure there. You got two kings seated, seated uh, on their thrones in their royal robes. You got 400 prophets all singing the party line, saying, yeah, victory is yours, assuring them is victory. And the messenger that comes to get Micaiah says, wait a second, buddy. Everybody else is singing this song, so why can't you just join the chorus of consent? Now I want you to look with me and read Micaiah's answer in verse 13 of chapter 18. He says this, but Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, what my God says, that I will speak. Wow, what great words. In, in 2021, we will be pressured to water down, to alter and falter in speaking the truth. And just think about it. If uh, the House of Representatives has its way, the, there'll be a passage of uh, what is deceptively named the Equality Act. And this act would force every Christian church and every ministry, Christian ministry, to decide if we're going to compromise our understanding of God-ordained gender, as God described it in Genesis, or we're going to or speak the truth in the face of tremendous pressure. We're going to compromise, or we're going to speak the truth. We must speak the truth. Secondly, Micaiah shows us we reveal God's truth. Not only we resolve to speak it, but we must actually do it. <laughs> Micaiah's conviction translated into courageous communication. I want you to read with me, if you will, verse 16, actually, what, what he actually told uh, the king when he was pressed upon it. He said, so he said, you do this, the truth, I'm going to speak the truth. So he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep 
which have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. It's a d disaster. If you disobey, disobedience would be devastating for God's people. Tantamount to the king uh, abandoning his responsibility as their spiritual shepherd. Uh, similar to what uh, happened in Ezekiel chapter 34 and 35, where uh, the prophet rebukes the spiritual leaders because they had abandoned their responsibility. This same thrust is, is communicated in Jesus' time in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Uh, the spiritual bankruptcy of Jerusalem's inhabitants is described similarly as Jesus looks upon them with compassion, seeing them like sheep without a shepherd. So here it is. This is a whole picture of abandonment. So go ahead, Jehoshaphat. Go ahead, Asa. Uh, or go ahead, Jehoshaphat, and go ahead, you guys, and, and go into battle if you want, Ahaz. Go into battle if you want, but you're going you're gonna to reap the benefits, and it's not going to be good. And so what did he say? Well, he spoke the truth. He was committed to speak the truth. He resolved to speak the truth. And then he was willing to actually speak the truth. Going to war was a, a problem. And then he went on to say, if we read the rest of chapter 18, he went on to tell them that going to war was actually an enticement of Satan guaranteeing their devastation. That's bold. I wonder, as uh, you look at social media and you see what's in the news, if you've seen what happened in Argentina this last week, the country of Argentina passed a law now to legalize abortion. And they were celebrating, dancing in the streets. And I would submit to you, that's demonic, similarly to what the enticement was here. Today, in the day in which we live, doctors are being pressured to deny biological gender distinctions. If, if we are, we're going to be come to the point where to, to call certain things like homosexuality or a transgenderism or these things, uh, to say this is sin or, or aberrant sexual behavior is sin, is going to be considered hate speech. Well, are we going to be convicted and have the resolve to speak? And then are we going to really actually uh, reveal God's truth? Finally, we see in Micaiah's life an example for us. We are ready to suffer for speaking God's truth. That's what happened to Micaiah. I mean, he was willing to speak the truth, but he also was willing to suffer. Micaiah's bold but truthful de uh, declarations ended in hostile <laughs> and punitive reaction. He was sent to prison, okay? He didn't compromise for his own comfort. And uh, in Acts 4, 18 and 19, prophets were said, you, you can't, we're told you can't speak in the name of Jesus. This is whether it's right in the sight of you or, or God to speak in his name, you be the judge. But for us, we're, we're going to keep proclaiming in his name. We're going to keep proclaiming. I wonder, in 2021, are we ready uh, to face infection, uh, rejection, isolation? a demotion, discrimination, possible even incarceration for speaking and living the truth of God's word. As we seek to build goodwill, do good works, build goodwill and share good news. I think about our Haiti team. What a great example they were to us when they uh, uh, went, to, went to Haiti, <laughs> risk getting COVID uh, to go and preach the gospel. So we see from the, from the life of Jehoshaphat, uh, the priority of intimacy with God. And from Micaiah, we see that we must uh, courageously serve God. And then finally, we see from uh, the life of Jehoshaphat again, uh, the need to rest in our God's sovereignty. And resting in our God's sovereignty is a function of four things that we see in, in chapter 20. First of all, we must realize our frailty. Verses 20 and 21. Uh, chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, I'm sorry. And it came about after that <clears throat> that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon together with the sons of Meonites came to make war against Jehoshaphat and they came and reported Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea. Well, we read this, a great multitude is coming and they're less than 25 miles away to the southeast. And in 2020 was a year of fear and exposed uh, our frailty. I mean, the thing about it, COVID can destroy life, but the attempts to mitigate it are destroying livelihoods. We saw unchecked vandalism. We saw violence in the streets, and it, it fueled insecurity. We've experienced in Iowa drought and deratio exposed our vulnerability. Election controversy reveals political instability. These things, we need to realize that we are frail. And then, secondly, we respond in humility. <laughs> I like verses 3 and 4 because it, just, it shows us what, what Jehoshaphat did. 
And Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And the people gathered with him. In fear, the king sought the Lord's help. Fasting is an act of abject dependence. It's a sincere devotion. And you see in this text, in verses 3 and 4, three times, seek the Lord, seek the Lord, seek the Lord. My dear wife was seeking the help of the medical professionals to get the accurate medical records so that we and medical charges so we could submit them and get adequately reimbursed. She was seeking, seeking, seeking. But I wonder, Jehoshaphat's dependence uh, was expressed primarily in prayer. Are we seeking, seeking, seeking? In verses 6 through 9, we see Jehoshaphat praying. And we see, first of all, he acknowledges uh, that God is, God is personal. And he said, Oh, Lord God, the God of our fathers, God of our fathers, okay, that's kind of personal. Uh, then look at verse 6. Did you not owe our God? There he is, our God. So he's appealing to God and, and the, his, his connection to him as our personal God. And I wonder, I oftentimes don't see God as personal. Do we see him as our personal God and powerful God? Secondly, he appeals to God's past actions, verses 7 through 9. Did you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Your friend, Abraham, there it is, personal. And they lived in it, and they have built you a sanctuary here for your name. Now get this, this is a quote basically appealing to 2 Chronicles chapter 6 uh, and chapter 7, where it is Solomon's prayer at the dedication of the temple. Should evil come upon us, the sword or the judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, and for your name is in this house, and cry to you in our distress, and you will hear and deliver us. He's appealing to God's promise that what God's past action, he removed the Canaanites and let them come in, and his promise as a, as a commitment, he's praying to him, believing that God will do it. And he asks for help, admitting that he is powerless. Verse 12, I want to be my prayer in 2021. Ponder it, if you will. I'm going to read it and then think about it and ponder it. He says, O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We too are powerless against what's coming against us, the unknowns and the knowns, the health problems, the financial challenges, the challenges of isolation and insulation and uh, rejection. We don't know what's coming, but our eyes are on you. 2021 gives us opportunity to trust in God's sovereignty by coming to him humbly. Then he, he receives a reassurance in verses 14 through, through 19, and the specifics of the, the victory that uh, are promised here aren't ours, but the assurances are. Look at verse 15, the end of verse 15. He says this, Do not fear or be dismayed because of the great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Verse 17, the end of it, Do not fear or be dismayed tomorrow, Go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. I don't know what you got going on, what we'll have going on, but this is true for us. Do not fear or be dismayed, for the battle is not yours, it's God's. God is with us. He's going before us. This is the same thing that he's promised us in John chapter 14, uh, verses 1 and 27. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. And finally, we realize the victory in verses 20 and 30. Resting in God's sovereignty means active faith. They had to do something, had to trust in him to realize the victory. We do too. I just have to laugh when you read verses 20 and 21 because in, in, in short, God said, let the musicians lead you into battle. Not the soldiers, the musicians. And then go singing praises to God so that God's sovereignty and God's supreme power would be elevated and showed and displayed. And their obedience resulted in God causing the enemy troops to fight against each other and brought about victory for God's people. And their salvation, the salvation of, of God's people, southern tribes of Judah in this battle, it's, it's not the promise we have, but it's a foreshadowing of the ultimate victory that we have through the person and work of Jesus. With our hope fixed on the future redemption, we rest in God's sovereign purposes and his supreme power to see us through to the end. Oh, may we make 2021 a time where we're pursuing our intimacy with God, where we're 
making sure that we, we're going to live courageously and serve him courageously and that we're willing to trust and rest in his sovereignty, that we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, Lord, but our eyes are on you. And as we close our service by taking these elements, they're the symbols, ultimate, symbols of ultimate victory as Christ purchased on Calvary through his sacrifice. We rejoice in the redemption received by all who believe, anticipating future redemption as a motivation for pursuing our intimacy with God, serving him courageously and resting in his sovereignty. Let's pray. Father, by your grace and by your power, I pray that you would give us your mercy to live and courage and grace to live in 2021. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.